Brothers, it is August, and although I understand you might be a little upset that summer is winding down, have no fear, it's not all bad news, football season is coming. And what does football season mean? It means fantasy football. We all know you're in probably seven or eight leagues. We all know that you have no idea what you're doing. Well, have no fear. Today is the day that I get you all the information you need to host your draft and to have a good draft and get your team going this year. So without further ado, And in conjunction with Fantasy Fanline, Brocation Locations presents its latest in the Brotherhood Learning Series, The Immaculate Directions, steps you can take to have the perfect fantasy football draft. Honestly, one of the best guy trips I've ever had. Seeing the sights, eating our fill, and of course, partying it up. You want to do the whole trip over again. How the hell did you find these places? Dang, Indy, Bob. That wasn't a trip. It was a movie. Welcome to the Brocation Locations Podcast. A guy's guide to boys' trips, bachelor parties, and stadium bucket lists. Wow, Andy Bob. I had a blast. That was truly a brocation. All I can say was epic. Not one wasted second. Well, Andy Bob, you're the goat. With your host, Andy Bob. What is up, my brothers, or Quenz and Jolly, Umfotwetu, to all my Zulu-speaking listeners? This is Andy Bob, and today I'm going to be your tour guide as we go back to the Brocation Locations Brotherhood Learning Series. Today we're doing it a little different. It's August. It is fantasy football time get that testosterone out we are drafting you know that you think you are as good a gm as your favorite nfl team and you may be but someone who i know definitely is at that level is the host and founder of fantasy fan line and that is mr greg scalera greg welcome to the show What's going on, Andy Bob? Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. I think I've listened to every single episode except for the Green Bay episode for obvious reasons. I'm a Bears fan, and I just don't need that kind of trauma in my life. Yeah, I I hear you. I hear you, and I'm sorry. We'll try to... Actually, something to mention uh, as we start. So Greg hosts a podcast, Fantasy Fan Line. It is a live call-in show. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, It's not done, so he'll have different experts in the industry come on and just talk with him and his co-host Saunch. And I've learned so much. I'm going to say just from my own, from my own experience last year was the first year of his, of his podcast. I listened to almost every episode. uh, And to be quite honest with you, it helped me win my league. Absolutely helped me win my league. So happy to hear that, man. That is the, the greatest compliment you can get as a fantasy football show. So I had the first on those titles. I had the first overall pick, took Christian McCaffrey, and obviously had to figure out how to navigate around his injuries. And through the advice of you and your guests, Alexander Madison got me a long way. And then uh, I I will say I was led by Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup, who I got later in the draft. Yeah, that helps. And your boy David Montgomery. That's what I like to hear, man. So uh, I, I really uh, do underrated, it. underrated and overlooked. So would you like to talk a little bit about your uh, podcast? 
Yeah, man. So like you said, uh, it's a live call-in show that we do every Saturday of the regular season at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can find us on all of our socials at Fantasy Fanline. We stream the show on pretty much every platform, and we take mailbag questions throughout the week. But really the idea is to give listeners and, and fantasy football players access to industry experts that they wouldn't normally get. Um, you know, everybody kind of does the mailbag, write in questions and things, and, and we're looking for really a direct line for you, the listener, to be able to pick up a phone and say, hey, here's my personal situation. Can you give me advice tailored to my team, to my question? Um, because everybody's putting out content these days, and it's 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 a good starting point, looking at cheat sheets, looking at waiver wireless and things like that. But fantasy football is very situational, and there are a lot of things that can factor into a decision, um, whether it's the the makeup of your roster or the you know, tendencies of, of the fellow people in your league with you. So you really want to get as specific an answer as you can to your question. So we like to open up the phone lines, let you pick up a phone and call in. And, um, you know, really we started the show because conversation around fantasy football is as important as it is really fun. We know there's a lot of people who are very passionate about it, um, kind of live for this stuff year round. And as much as it is about building a community of people to, to be able to call in and talk to each other, it's also important to discuss people's takes on fantasy football because a lot of us as analysts can get locked into a mindset. We have an opinion, we build a foundation around it, and then all of a sudden I'll have a guest on the show who drops a stat that I hadn't considered or offers a point of view that I had overlooked. And, and all of a sudden it's like, you know what, maybe I wasn't right on the nose the first time and need to be pliable and open to conversation and let it take you where it takes you. And how can uh, my listeners uh, find you if they want to see you on social media and then watch the show live? Yeah, so we stream live to Twitch, uh, to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, that's our live show every Saturday at 2 p.m. And we also, uh, the following day after we do the live show, we push it as a podcast, an audio format on every major podcast platform. So wherever you're listening to this, odds are you can go and search for Fantasy Fanline and you will find us there as well. So we're going to get into specific questions for this season's draft a little bit later. But first, I wanted to talk with Greg because Greg's been doing this for years. Greg has been playing fantasy football for, what, 15, 20 years now? Sounds Don't about right. And, and, and I'll say that fantasy football was my gateway into watching football. I did not grow up a football plan. Believe it or not, I was not a football player. I know that's probably shocking to anyone who knows uh, what I look like or how large I am. You look like a kicker. Thank you. I did play soccer. I maybe could have crossed that gap, but if anyone ever got to me before the ball was kicked, I would have died. So I know that that would not. And then what would I be doing? I'd have to find a different city. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do a fantasy football episode. I'd be doing, I don't know. I'm what... sorry. That would have been such an inconvenience for you, Andy. Bob, uh, yeah. <laughs> if I was obliterated on a football field. So, well, it wouldn't have been a much of an inconvenience for me because I would have never met you. So it kind of, you know, I just wouldn't, it would have been like a story I read in the news at some point when I was. Oh, what a shame. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. oh, all right. Well, anyway, it's uh, what's going on with Peyton Manning today? <laughs> like, like, like I said, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I wanted to discuss with you because you've been doing drafts for such a long time and I'm sure you've been to many live drafts. I wanted to really discuss hosting a draft, having a draft party, doing stuff like that. Because to me, one of the biggest parts, unless you're playing you know, a really big money thing, one of the best parts of fantasy football is the camaraderie, hanging out with your boys, 
having a great time, having a great draft. The draft to me, the draft is like Christmas. When you have a live draft with your friends, it's just an exciting. I mean, it sounds like I'm depressed and I'm looking for a reason to just be around people. And I, I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I love fantasy drafting. Sure. So, you know, there's there's some pros and cons to doing it live versus remote. I will say that the pros of doing it live strongly outweigh the cons. Um, so I'll give the cons first because there's not many. Um, it takes a little bit longer. It's definitely less efficient because there's a lot of conversation around the draft picks and, uh, you know, hopefully good natured ribbing and, um, things of that nature. So I, I would expect an in-person snake draft and we'll get into snake versus auction later, probably, but it's going to take a couple hours longer than if you just knocked it out on a timer remotely over your platform of choice, whether it's ESPN or sleeper Yahoo, you usually put a 60 second timer on a draft pick. It'll take you about an hour, hour and a half tops. So if you're doing in-person, definitely be prepared to set aside a night for it. Uh, but it's it's more fun that way. You know, you want to make it an evening and not squeeze it in on a lunch break on a work day or something. It, it should really, like you said, it's a holiday. It needs to be celebrated and enjoyed in the spirit of, of what it is, which is an event. I would also say if you're a big drinker, that can definitely work to your disadvantage the longer a draft goes, especially if you're with your friends and things. I, you know, in my younger days have made some picks that I woke up the next morning and looked at them and I was like, I don't remember doing that. And, uh, you know, just the, the volatility of fantasy football. Sometimes that works out for the best. Sometimes it doesn't. I think my worst ever pick in an in-person draft. And it, it, truthfully, this was no fault of mine. But a few years ago, I did draft Andrew Luck about 45 minutes before he retired. And I got so drunk after that that I rage-picked Lamar Jackson in like the 10th. Wow. But, what a, what a, what a, what that a was turnaround. His, that was his breakout year. So, um, like I said, sometimes it, it shakes out uh, in your favor. And I I am very pro live draft. I've done many live drafts, some at people's houses, some at restaurants. Uh, I, I And we'll get into loco locations a little bit later on. But to me, just there's something so exciting, as I said before, about just getting in touch. To me, it also depends on who the people are that you're drafting with. And I kind of want to go into that. I, I want to transition into who are the right people to join a, a league with and especially for a live draft and i'll start i'll say you need people that are and you brought up ribbing trash talk is important trash talk to me is one of the most important parts if you finish in last place i want to remind you of that i don't want you to be a sensitive person that's going to get really upset about it i want you i want it to fuel you like a villain in a in a comic book, <laughs> you finish in last, and you have this whole off season of just being so angry, opening up every book, listening to every episode of Fantasy Fanline. I want the villain origin story to start with me <laughs> ripping me. The bully is actually the reason for the villain. So I, I think those are the right sort of people. That is a great way to put it. Um, I, I think that's one of the most important things is is to not just be a good trash talker, but be good at taking it. Um, you know, you need to play with people who are good sports. Uh, we, we take this, you know, relatively seriously. We do, we have our own podcast about it. So obviously it's important to us, but at the same time, if we go out and we put up a dud, I, I expect to hear about it from my league mates and I'm going to take it and I'm going to laugh about it and be a good sport about it because that's the spirit of this game. Like why do it if, if you can't have fun with it? And I, I know there are people out there who play just for money. Um, I don't think that that, in my opinion, is, is the spirit of the game. 
everybody's welcome to their own opinion. Uh, and there are people out there who make good money off of daily fantasy sports and, and betting and things like that. I, I just think that you're going to have the best time in fantasy football when you can celebrate your wins and, and laugh off your losses and let your opponent, you know, do their thing because it's a weekly game and somebody's going to come out and thrash you one week and you'll get them later in the season. So, uh, you know, never take it personally. I, I think a, an important note about fantasy football league mates is that they don't have to be your friends. There are lots of great fantasy football communities, especially in this day and age with the way the game's growing. Um, you can find really great strangers to play online with from around the world, not even just in, in the country. I've played with great players in, you know, United Kingdom, Ireland. Uh, the NFL is, is a big worldwide sport and um, a lot of opportunities to kind of bridge some of those those continental gaps and, and play with people that you wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to socially interact with in your life. Other than that, you know, look for people who are, who are going to be active uh, fantasy football managers. That's a big one. I think the, the worst situation to find yourself in is when you're the only person in the league who's making weekly roster moves sending out trade offers that you never hear back about um, or what about if uh you know you're battling for a playoff spot with another team and they're facing a team who someone's been on our ir for five weeks and is still in a starting lineup it's it's brutal it's a complete league killer when you have even just one person in the league who is you know starting people who are out for the season with an acl tear and you know you know that every time you face them it's going to be a free pass which is fun for you for that one week but not fun like you said when you're in a playoff race against somebody else and they get a free win in the win column um so, so you want people who you know are going to stick with it year round even if they don't get off to a good start there's you know i've, I've seen teams go oh and three oh and four turn it around win a title so if you're playing with somebody who's going to check out because they're off to a bad start, it's just bad for the league. And um, I think the, the the last thing is really to look for players who are informed. They don't have to be industry experts, but you know people who stay up to date with with news and things and, and aren't picking up um, players who you know just suffered a catastrophic injury or drafting people who retired in the off season. Uh, I have seen it all, and it's it's not good for the competition. So yeah, I, big I, tips. I, I, you absolutely nailed that. Those are those are three great reasons, uh, three great, great things that can absolutely kill a league. People that don't, that aren't informed at all and make terrible decisions. People who are inactive and people who are extremely sensitive and can't take the joke or the cajoling. But I really appreciate that. I think that's really cool that you play with people around the world. That's that's absolutely awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's you know something that I never really. Um... I don't think would have been exposed to had I not started getting into uh, the industry, so to speak, and meeting people. It's a much bigger community once you kind of peel back the curtain than I even realized when I started the show. Um, the more I got involved online and started talking to people and meeting people, the more it was like, um, hey, I love your show. Check out this community. You're going to meet more people who enjoy the same things that you do and think the way that you do. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to, to, to make friends and talk about football, if that's what you want to do. So, Greg, when do you start planning for your draft, especially if you have a, a bigger group? Uh, usually leagues are, what, 10 to 12 people? Ideally. Uh, some, yeah. some bigger, some smaller, but let's just say a standard 10 to 12 person draft. When are we starting to send out the feelers for a draft date? So that is, that is an art form that I feel like I have uh, honed over the years. I used to start 
way too early. When I really first started playing and I was super enthusiastic and I was clearly the one in the league who was the most enthusiastic about fantasy football. I was, you know, starting dialogue in like early June, early July. And people are like, man, it's summer. I'm on the beach. I don't want to start thinking about fantasy football yet. So, you know, you have to know your league a little bit. You have to know their sense of enthusiasm and, you know, their, their work availability. If you're in a league with more volatile schedules you need to start a little sooner but i like to look at like the top of august like right now um is really when most of our planning is is kicking off oh i'm looking at my calendar it's the 14th already i don't know how that happened i thought it was like the second but yeah i I like to really aim for like first week of august to start uh, floating dates to your league and I, i think the sweet spot to actually set a date is after the last preseason game because you know if possible there are just so many preseason injuries um, and there's nothing worse than doing like a mid to late August draft. And then in, you know, preseason week three, which is when a lot of the starters play, the guy that you took in the first, second round tears an ACL out for the season. And you're like, well, there goes my year. So, um, so ideally... you want to start your draft as soon to the, as soon to the season as you can. I mean, obviously you can't guarantee that with people that have vacations. Exactly. It's a tough time of year. Yeah. But um, certainly Labor Day weekend is probably an ideal time. That's a big one. Uh, I think the last preseason game this year is like August 28th, I want to say, the very end of the of the month, and NFL kickoff is September 8th. So if you could get something done between those two dates, you're you're in good shape. I mean, freak injuries happen all the time, but that's probably the week where it's the least likely to happen. Okay. So, I mean, you, you do your best to host it as soon to the season as possible, but I've done drafts at, at noon on kickoff day, a few hours before the game starts. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is, <laughs> that is stressful. That, a little bit, but yeah. it, it's probably the most informed you will be and, and have the, the most up-to-date, you know, opinions about players going into Cause things change even during preseason games. We see uh, different usages, um, you know, different, you know, you can, you can come out, be really high on a quarterback and then see his protection fall apart looking at you, Chicago bears. And, um, you know, have it have a different take than you would have a week prior. So, uh, the clo- closer you can get to game time, the better, I think. Okay, so you you brought this up a little earlier, auction or snake. So, mm. for those of you who aren't as informed about fantasy football, there's really two types of drafts that you can really partake in. If you're doing what's basically called a redraft where it's a different year, it's not a keeper league or a dynasty league that carries over year to year. So Greg, could you just explain to people the difference between redraft and auction? And then especially in a live draft setting, the pros and cons of both. Yeah. So like you said, there's pros and cons. I don't think that there's a binary answer. It kind of depends on your preferences, your level of experience. Um, I think that snake is probably a little easier for beginner to intermediate players um, because you kind of just it, snake draft is, is you take turns going through one person at a time, picking a player from top to bottom of a predetermined draft order. So say Andy Bob gets the number one pick and I end up picking 12th in a 12 person league. That means it's going to start with him. It's going to work its way down to me, and then it's going to work its way back up to him. So I will get two picks at the at the end of that uh, draft order. So um, it's certainly quicker. Um, that is probably the, the biggest benefit of snake drafts, uh, aside from being a little bit easier for, for beginners to kind of read off of a list and get an idea of, of who they should take when it's their turn. Uh, like I said earlier, snake drafts remote. If you have a timer on it, 60 seconds a pick, probably knock out a snake draft in 60 to 90 minutes. Um, 
it's still a lot of fun. I think it's the most common universal format. So a lot of times when you hear uh, people in the industry giving advice for drafts, they're usually talking about snake drafts. Auction is a little less common. Uh, it takes forever, which can be a positive or a negative, depending on you know how much time you have set aside for it, what time you start. Uh, I'm in a couple of auction leagues, and we have learned over the years to start as early as possible in the day. We used to kick it off at like 8 o'clock, and all of a sudden we were drafting at 3 in the morning, and we were like, you know, <laughs> maybe we should learn from this for next season. I, I personally find auction drafts more fun because they're they're a little better for advanced players. It gives you the option to kind of customize your team to your own personal beliefs about players, regardless of their average draft position. So say, you know, you're really high on two wide receivers going in the first round in snake drafts. You're not going to get them both in a snake draft. There's just no way. You're not going to get, for example, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, who are both going in round one. It's not going to happen. But in an auction draft, you can pay up and you can build your team around those two players and sacrifice maybe what would have been like a third or a fourth round pick. So it's a little more customizable. It really lets you plant your flag on the players that you believe in and build a team around them. So that's that's why I prefer auction. But I, I think that they both have their merits. And I'll just piggyback off what you were saying about getting the two wide receivers. In fact, if you wanted Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and you had a late pick in the first round, there's a good chance that you wouldn't have a chance at either, which yep. to me, for a competitive sake, I think auction is a lot more, um, I, I, it is more advanced, it's a little more difficult, and you have to understand the values of players. But I like it for a competitive standpoint because everyone has the opportunity at every single player, which in a snake draft, the best player is definitely going to go to number one. And the 11 other players who didn't get the first pick, usually by chance, already didn't have a chance at that player. Uh, but for for most of this podcast, we're going to talk about it more in a snake. There are a lot more snake drafts than auction. And I, I will agree with you. Those auction drafts can last four, four and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, and look, there's a lot more... There's definitely a lot more ribbing. There's a lot more <laughs> drama to it. When P it's it literally is like an auction where it's like, you know, the bidding's at $70, it's $71, $72. And then you have it gets down to two people and you can see it in their souls. Are they willing <laughs> to go that additional dollar for, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, who who there's there's a lot of strategy in those situations. Sometimes you'll have two players who actually really want the same guy. Sometimes you'll have one who's just driving up the price because they know that the other guy really wants them. Uh, if you know you're in a league with a, a Colts fan, for example, just drew that name out of a hat and, you you know, he's really going to pay anything in the world for Jonathan Taylor or Michael Pittman. You can usually get away with driving that price up a little bit because, you know, he's still going to climb up and get him. So know your league mates. Yeah, I mean, I've been in leagues with Patriot fans who absolutely, for Tom Brady, back in the day, when he wasn't even QB1, <laughs> he'd be the most expensive player in the league. Uh, you know, because just because someone is incredible in real life doesn't mean that they're the fantasy football incredible player. There, there, There is a little bit of a difference. Look, Tom Brady's a great player, and he's always been a great player, and there, there's something to that. But real football and fantasy football are different guys who yeah. might not be the best quarterback in the league are just great runners and that helps them become fantasy football gods yeah that is that is very true and um you know I, I see that going both ways there are a lot of real life incredible football players who are very valuable to their teams um nick chubb is probably the best example i could think of probably one of the best pure running backs in nfl football 
but he's never going to be one of those top three, top five fantasy football running backs because he's in a situation where he splits the backfield work with Kareem Hunt. So, um, you know, if you ask me who are the best running backs in football, Nick Chubb, probably one of my top answers. Ask me about fantasy football. He's, he's not going to get the workload of a Jonathan Taylor, or even like a Christian McCaffrey, those guys who are just going to see, you know, 300, 350 touches out of the backfield. So a lot of it comes down to usage situation. And this, again, goes back to why I, I was really plugging the fantasy fan land format is because so much of this is, is situational. And we're not just talking about, well, who's the most talented guy? Take him next, you know. But if we're talking underrated fantasy football players who might get overlooked because they're not considered great NFL players. And I mean, everybody in the NFL is a great football player. But if we're talking relatively great, it's usually fantasy players who are the focal points of what you would consider a bad offense. Um, you know, Brandon Cooks comes to mind. He's really the, the the lead wide receiver on the Houston Texans this year. And he's being taken as the 24th wide receiver off the board. I mean, he's been a top 20 receiver in fantasy across four different teams since 2015. He's always been great. And just because he's on a bad team this year and last year, I think he gets kind of that reputation of, well, I'm not touching any Houston Texans, including Brandon Cooks. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, people overlook him as a talent to begin with just because he's been traded so many times. You, you know, you start to assume, oh, what's wrong with him? Why does nobody want him? But the truth is he's been really good everywhere he went. And now he's in a situation where he's going to be the focal point of that offense. So... Love me some Brandon Cooks. Uh, I think it'd be uh, a mistake to not mention Darnell Mooney. Uh, I was back and forth on it because I am a Bears fan. I don't want you to, to take this as a homer pick. But, you know, as long as we're talking focal points of admittedly bad offenses, Darnell Mooney is being taken as the wide receiver 28 right now in fantasy football drafts. And I, I don't know if you're going to find any wide receivers after that in the draft who are going to be considered the lead receiver on their team. Uh, admittedly, he's not going to get a ton of scoring opportunities because I don't expect the Bears to be in the red zone a lot this year. But he saw 140 targets last year, and they really added no competition for him. It's going to be him and Cole Komet. So guys like that who aren't big names, who aren't on big-name offenses, um, I think are really unexpectedly valuable for fantasy football. That is the sort of in-depth knowledge that you get on Fantasy Family. That is how I won a league last year. Right there. That is how I did it. Uh, let's just transition back. Uh, I, I know you, I, I, I can see the excitement on your face when, when you talk about this stuff, but I've I, I, I got to get back to the, the, the draft setup. So sure. let's, let's get back to a little bit. Let's talk location. Uh, where should you host? And I have a few things that I think are important here. Okay. Uh, I, I brought on a little earlier on about, you know, the restaurant versus someone's house. And to me, the restaurant was always a little bit distracting. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's drafting when there's food in front of you. There's yeah. impatient waiters and waitresses. You're sitting at their table for three hours. You know, I, there's just a lot going on. And I don't think you can get the true focus. Now, look, if everyone likes to go out or if you go to the sort of sports bar that they'll give you the, your own room for it, that's one thing. That's yep. a totally different thing. But as far as going to a chain restaurant, I've done it a bunch and there's just a lot of things. There's too much going on. And certain people have different things that they care about in that environment. It's just it's a very it's a very I, I just it just rubs me the wrong way. So I, I always think you should go to someone's house. Uh, I mean, you have a man cave right there behind you, I see. And, <laughs> and uh, I will say, and we'll get into decor, uh, but um, 
I mean, I, I see the Bears blanket right there, and I'm loving it. Um, but the things that I think are important, and you can tell me if you agree with this. All right. The number one thing I think is important is Wi-Fi. Yeah. You need you need a place that has good Wi-Fi that people can check their notes online. People can have their laptops, and you can all share. And it's because if people don't have that, it's a really frustrating thing. Look, you can go in like a cowboy and shoot from the hip with a cheat sheet in front of you, but certainly you're going to want to have some sort of computer if you can in front of you. Uh, that that to me is the most important thing. Um, I mean, how important do you find Wi-Fi when you're drafting? Uh, I would put it probably top two along with power outlets. Because like you said, you can go in with a printed out cheat sheet if, if you want, um, I, but you're putting yourself at a really unnecessary advantage. And it is possible to draft from your phone and uh, kind of use that as a resource. But again, it's, it's hard because I, I feel like at bare minimum in 2022, the things that you're competing, you're competing with other people who have access to um, not just their favorite cheat sheets and favorite rankings from their favorite expert, but also people looking at average draft position lists, which are different usually than than rankings because you want to take a look and see okay this is my 10th favorite wide receiver but he's commonly being drafted 15 16 so can i wait another round and expect for him to make it back to me in a snake draft so there are often different resources you want to be able to switch between and for that reason i would i would prefer to draft with a laptop rather than a cell phone and you know if you're at one of these kind of auction drafts or longer snake drafts that's going three four hours got to plug that sucker in yeah um no, nothing worse than your laptop dying when you're trying to pull up your list of, of deep round sleepers and you can't do it. So um, Wi-Fi, power outlets, relying on technology, really important regardless of where you're drafting. Uh, if it's a house party, it's on the host to supply that stuff. I think I think probably perfect situation if you have unlimited resources, unlimited budget. Like you said, yeah, go rent out a private room at a, at a restaurant or, or rent out a sports bar. But not everybody playing fantasy football has got it like that. So I think the next best uh, scenario is to do like a private house party. You know, if, if, if you're in a situation where you all kind of live near enough that you can travel to each other's houses, which is not always the case, but more commonly if you're playing together in college or, or high school, if you're just starting out, um, you know, find somebody's house where you don't have a deadline and you can make a lot of noise and, and be fun and be rowdy and, uh, that's that's probably the most ideal possible scenario i think for for a draft night and again it's on the host to, to supply power outlets and wi-fi and things and make sure people have access to their resources and uh in exchange you know i think it's nice for everybody to bring a, a drink and a snack and um you know kind of kind of make an event out of it make a draft night out of it i i don't like drafting in restaurants and public spaces and things i think the biggest thing is just not being able to hear each other like i've done buffalo wild wings drafts and stuff and, and they do a lot to give you a fun sportsy atmosphere it's just so hard to communicate especially in a group of like 12 people sitting around a table when everything else is loud and there's music playing you don't you don't really you know you miss a couple of picks you forget to cross them off your sheet or you don't know who's on the board for an auction draft and communication is just really important so you need to be in a place where you could be fun and loud but everything around you isn't so loud that you can't hear each other talk. So the next thing that I thought was important, and I think this is pretty, pretty self-explanatory is comfort. You need a place that mm. everyone's going to have room. Everyone's going to feel comfortable. We're not all going to be on top of each other. And we're also not sitting on slabs where you're just uncomfortable. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. 
No, that's um, a good one. I've done some Dunkin' Donuts drafts, um, and you know, I've never been in a Dunkin' Donuts with a table big enough to seat twelve people. I don't know if you have. So no. that was that was always uncomfortable. We were hanging over, you know, adjacent booths trying to talk to each other, and it really the, the uh, Dunkin' Donuts was not built for fantasy football. Yeah. Um, uh, the the third thing I have is a lack of distractions. So you don't have kids running over you. You don't have those sort of things where it's just too much going on. Uh, because, I mean, you go to someone's house and they got five kids crying or in a crib and stuff like that. You know, it, it kind of takes away from the whole experience. You know, you have to pause. And look, there are times in a draft where it's okay to pause and everyone can get a bathroom break or, sure. you know, food. But certainly when uh, you're just starting a draft and every few picks, there's just some sort of thing going on. We don't want that in our draft. Yep. Agreed. Don't do it with like a movie on in the background. Don't do a movie night where you're also doing a fantasy football draft. Make make your night about the draft. It's, it's going to be more enjoyable. And um, like you said, less distractions. You're going to feel like you got the picks that you wanted to make and you know, you don't want to go into the season feeling like, oh, man, I really missed out on the guy that I wanted to get because everything was was crazy in the moment. And I just didn't realize that he was available or I missed him on my sheet. You know, no no room for error. And then I'll give you a bonus one. All uh, right. You brought up the drinking ride share accessibility. Oh, that's such a good one. If you're going to if you're going to go somewhere, look, we don't we don't want you to not have a good time and, and get drunk and have a good time with your boys. But we don't also want you to hurt yourself or get a Dewey on the ride home. So, uh, I mean, it's just, just something to, to think about where you host it. I, I don't think it's the final, the most important factor. I mean, you can be responsible on your own, obviously, but certainly I think it's something that if you have a place where people can get home without, you know, having to drive themselves, it, it does add to the experience. Yep. Ride share, public transit. Uh, if your host can let some people stay at, at their place for the night, um, figure that out before you start the draft, before you start having fun and, and you know, having drinks. Um, kind of just think through that in your head and say, what can I afford to do tonight? What can I not do tonight? Better to figure that out in advance at any social gathering rather than in the moment when you're already drunk and you're, you're trying to figure out how to get home. Right. So, now let's let's move on. And now you've been chosen to host, right? Oh, the draft is at your what, home. Or, what an honor. Right. Or you have a clueless friend who's been chosen and he's asked you for all the help. Less of an so, honor. Right. Let, let's talk draft materials for the day of. Okay. What should the host have? Well, uh, the host is probably, like I said, at bare minimum, going to want to provide access to resources that people bring, whether that's power outlets and Wi-Fi. Some people put out Ethernet connections if you're really serious about it. Um, I, I think it's a nice common courtesy to, to kind of print out um, something for the people who might have forgotten to bring something of their own. If, if you want to have, you know, the same uniform um cheat sheet or or power rankings or average draft position list that you want to put at everybody's place when they get there they could choose to use it or not i think it's a nice kind of bare minimum so that even if for some reason everybody forgets to bring something you're all working off the same kind of source of truth of here's the list of available players here's the order that they're you know expected to be taken and, and you can kind of use that as a jumping off point i i think that's just a nice touch for a host what about a draft board Draft boards are, are fun. Uh, they're not necessary. They do add to the atmosphere. Um, 
I, I think that it's especially helpful in snake drafts. Uh, like I said, it's hard to juggle between your own your own cheat sheet, your own average draft position list, your own notes, if you wrote down any sleepers and things. To have to cross off every single name on the cheat sheet as you go uh, can sometimes be difficult. Very convenient. It's a luxury uh, if you can manage to get one. Um, I know that there are services out there who sell uh, draft boards that are kind of custom tailored for each year's draft. Um, you know, they do big paper ones that you could hang up on a wall and, and write in the names as you go. Or it's even easier these days to have a digital draft board if somebody has a big screen TV in their living room where you're drafting, you, you know, plug in a laptop and there are free solutions out there. Uh, Clicky Draft is a good one that offers uh, free draft boards for your league that you can kind of fill in the player names as you go, put them up on a big screen. It's just nice when you're trying to juggle between your cheat sheet, your notes, your resources. Um, if you forget to cross off a player or something, or you want to, I think the biggest advantage of draft boards, honestly, now that I'm saying this out loud, it's occurring to me that you should be using draft boards to look at the teams that need to pick between your current pick and your next pick. So say you have the number eight pick in your draft and you're on the clock and you're like, okay, I really like a wide receiver here, but there's a tight end I really like. Usually teams don't draft more than one tight end. So you can look ahead on the draft board and say, okay, there's four more teams that I have to pick before it comes back around to me. Do they each already have a tight end? And if not, how many of them still need a tight end? And what are the chances that the guy that I want gets back to me? Or say, you know, there's three tight ends left in a tier that you want to take. Like, these are my top five guys. There's three of them left. What are the odds that they're going to make it back to me? One of them. So draft boards are really helpful for that to be able to look up and say, okay, here's what I can expect the next few teams to do based on the picks they've already made, because it's just impossible to keep track of that if you're not looking at a draft board. So, and you brought up the digital uh, part of it. Were you, so is that also something that, you know, you could bring an HDMI cord and hook up a laptop and someone types and you could put it on a big screen TV? Is that, is that also an option? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's probably the, the easiest and cheapest option these days with the, the amount of technology available to us. A lot of big screens out there, a lot of laptops, hook up an HDMI cable. Like I said, throw up clicky draft, set it up for your league. It's really easy to maintain. Um, I, I know some people just prefer the aesthetic of the, the paper boards, funner to send somebody up with a marker and write it. It's a common punishment for last place finish. So with the uh, with the with the draft board in mind, I kind of wanted to bring up and this is going the next step, decor. And because I think decor is something you have to build around your draft board. Your draft board is the centerpiece of the draft. If sure. you have one, whether you put it on a, on your TV screen or whether you have the paper board. So some things that, and look, this is something that everyone probably both monetarily, but also with how rabid they are going to be at this need to buy in uh, a podium is an option here. I mean, do we have a podium, especially for a snake draft where each person gets up and announces their pick? Pretty awesome thing to do. You sure uh, could. You sure yeah. could. Um, then there's also bringing your own, bringing your own sort of decor. So when I go to a draft, I might bring my Peyton Manning bobblehead. That's just, it's an idea. It's something to put on the table. It adds to the football environment. Also, I might wear some Colts uh, memorabilia. I might wear a Colts jersey or a Colts shirt. Uh, footballing the room up is something that really can add to the experience. I've seen, and look, you have this man cave, and I'm going to give you some advice All for, right. and anyone who listens to Fantasy Fanline, you can always see he's got the, he's got everything behind him. 
you've won quite a few championships in your day. You need to start buying yourself banners and hanging them from the rafters of your man cave. <laughs> and I think that would be such a flex if you did stuff like that. That's a great idea. Um, I, I was actually going to suggest maybe at your draft to have like those championship pennants with the names of the past winners to hang on the wall. I think that'd be really fun. Like when you go into a, you know, high school sports gymnasium and you see all the years that the the basketball team won the title. Um, as far as, you know, flexing your own championships go, most of the leagues I play in, it's, it's customary for the last place finisher to buy the winner a trophy that year. It doesn't always happen. And every time that I do win, I feel like a jerk for messaging the guy who finished last and being like, hey, this is a reminder. You owe me like a $20 title <laughs> belt or whatever. But, you know, sometimes they remember, sometimes they don't. Um, depending on your league and then you got to know your friends whether or not you can enforce that. But I do have a, a few titles sitting. There's a bar about 10 feet to my left and that's where they all live. But you're right. I should get them on camera. What am I doing? Yeah, that's they such should. a huge oversight. Absolutely. And it, it gives you the legitimacy that you rightly deserve. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'll say something else fun that you can kind of add to the room on draft night. Um, you mentioned the podium and going up and making like a moment of the pick Roger Goodell style. Um, I have also seen people have their own music that they play whenever they make a pick. Um, you know, if your team, you want to give them a theme song, you could play a clip from it, like a soundbite. Um, I have seen people go up with, uh, you know, for example, if, if their team name is native American themed, you know, they'll, they'll go up in like full costume and, and welcome them to the tribe and things like that. So if you, if, if your team has a brand, you know, lean into it. Uh, it's, it's usually more ridiculous as the night goes on, the more you drink and things, but, um, and, 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 and I mentioned, you know, traditions for last place finishers, buying title belts and, and things. I have heard all sorts of punishments you could put in place to incentivize people to not tap out after four or five bad weeks. If you if you instill sort of a fun, funny punishment for the last place finisher, it will keep people active all year. Um, I, I've seen everything from people standing on the side of a road wearing a, you know, a placard over their chest saying I suck at fantasy football. Um, people getting tattoos. If you really want to go more extreme. I, last place I saw finisher. a good one live. I saw a Did good you? one. Live. I was yeah, I was out at a bar and uh, it was in a busy bar town. And this guy had to walk around in his underwear while the rest of his league dressed as nuns. And this was, game <laughs> the was huge. And they did the shame. Shame. Oh, that's so shame. good. They had to walk through town. I guess they had a predetermined route. But it was it was actually the most ridiculous thing. And I was like, I turned to someone. I was like, what is going on? They said, he came in last. <laughs> and I, I love that so much. What, and I, I knew. My, my favorite idea that I've had for a last place finish that I haven't gotten anybody to agree to yet in any of my leagues, but I'm still working on it. I think we should do a last place finish uh, comedy set at an open mic night. I think whoever finishes last has to go up and do five to 10 minutes of stand up. I love that. Thank I you. So if anyone that. listening to this uh, can, can make that happen in their league, let me know. Yeah, that is great. Uh, as far as booze goes, booze should be a BYO thing, BYOB thing here, right? Yeah, if you want to have like a community 12, 24 pack of something cheap, you know, Coors Light is not going to set you back much as a host. But usually I just, it's just, you know, bring whatever you want to drink. And if somebody forgets to bring something, grab a Coors Light out of the fridge. And then as far as food goes, 
I mean, that's more of a Dutch thing, or that could even be something last place buys, right? I mean, sure. You order a bunch of pizzas, or you bring burgers and dogs for everyone. I mean, I've, but seen, also- I've seen last place finishers supply food, supply drink. I've seen them have to be the ones standing up at front holding the marker to write all the names on the draft board. Uh, but I, I, I like to go potluck with those. If there's something you want to bring for the group, uh, you know, you want to bring a pizza or bake something, bake cookies. It fills up pretty quick when 12 people show up with something, you know. And then the other idea is maybe having a camera and live streaming your draft and hearing people make fun of you in real time. Sure. There there are a lot of uh, professional fantasy football podcasts out now in the industry that with thousands of listeners who started that way who started with uh, as an internal podcast about their own league, you know, whether it was breaking down everybody's moves week to week or talking trash on their, their opponents. Um, sometimes that's how you start and it clicks and you find that people are interested in hearing what you have to say. Um, but even if, you know, even if you have no intention of getting to that point, yeah, it's a lot of fun internally. If you, if you want to do like a, a live stream and even if you're the only one to ever watch it, you know, it's funny to look back on a year later and be like, man, look how hyped we were to, pick this guy who did nothing all season and <laughs> all right so now it, it is the draft how do we determine the order for the draft um you know the most common traditional way is to take the reverse order of last place finishes so if andy bob wins a title in 2022 you could give him the last pick in 2023 um i don't think that makes a ton of sense because there's I don't no like last- it. I don't yeah, like, there's there's I no wanna, roster carryover. If, me, if it's a if it's a dynasty or a keeper league, I get it because it's the same roster year to year. So presumably, whoever had the strongest roster last year should be put at a dis- disadvantage this season. But when it's a redraft and you're starting fresh, there's really no point. Um, I I think that there are more fun ways to do it. Some people just draw names out of a hat. No, give me I, beer feats. Give me beer feats. Beer feats are where great. Where everyone chug and the winner gets to pick their draft and and so on. Or, or uh, we're doing uh, at my draft next week. We're doing dizzy bat, and whoever hits it the farthest gets to choose. We need, we need. That's how this needs to happen. This is so my favorite one that that I'm a part of, um, and this is actually the league that I'm in with Saunch, my co-host for Fantasy Fanline. He assigns everybody a wrestler in WWF No Mercy for Nintendo 64, and puts them all in a Royal Rumble. And our draft order is based on how they finish in that Royal Rumble. Wow. So that is that is my current favorite, that, but that might be my favorite thing. I've heard. That's my favorite non-drinking idea that I ever. And it's. And I it's, mean, we still drink while we do it, but. but it's CPU like the CPU is wrestling. Yep, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that he streams amazing. it over Twitch, and we all tune in and watch it, and we have to root for whoever you know, whatever wrestler we have, uh, and they do the best they can. That is that is actually incredible. Okay, <laughs> so as far as the ambiance. Do you like music in the background during the draft? Do you like it just silent? I don't mind it. If you want to put on a playlist, um, like I said earlier with restaurants, just make sure that you can hear each other over it. Um, it, it kind of depends on the group and depends where you're doing it. And, uh, you know, the nice thing is if you're at a house party and the music is too much, you can always get rid of it. Of course. Yeah, it's something you can always you can always back out on. But, yeah. like, I mean, where do you go with the music? Do you go with something that's more chill and relaxing? Or do you – I know you're a big Linkin Park guy. So, like, do you go with something hard like that? No, I I, I try to read the room, and uh, if it's a pretty good mix of people with different tastes, classic rock is is a safe bet. Um, if it's a younger group of players, you know, pop, modern alt rock, um, I, I like something with some energy to it. You don't want to put on Light FM and be drafting to Enya. So, um, you know, I, I would think about it the same as I would underscoring like a house party. 
put on something that's that's going to keep people sociable and, and drinking and laughing and having fun. But uh, if it's too much, like I said, always take it out. Some people okay. don't like it. Now, one thing we haven't talked about yet, and I think this is a big thing. How do you, how have you seen it handled in the past? Someone backs out last second, they can't make the draft and kind of throws everything for a loop and you have to improvise. Before I answer that question, I will tag on an answer to my previous question, jock jams. If you get a good jock jams playlist for the right crowd, if it's a, if it's a if it's a 90s group, dude, there's nothing more fun than drafting fantasy football to a jock jams playlist. That's I'm I'm jealous. I didn't think of that. <laughs> I thought of it too. I'm late. jealous I had to of get you. It in there. I'm jealous of first you not realizing it. <laughs> so the question about the person who can't make it, my answer is don't do it. Don't be that person. But if you have to, I mean, there's probably nothing that ruins a draft harder than one person not being able to make it at the last second and. You know, you want to honor your commitments the best you can. But at the same time, this is something we do for fun. And if something comes up with work, like, what are you going to do? It's more important. So I think really the only acceptable workaround for it is to assign a proxy to draft for that person live. Uh, and I've had this happen in, in leagues that I manage. And usually what I do is I ask the person who can't make it to be responsible for sending somebody in their place that they trust to make their picks, just so that there's no chance later of them saying oh you gave me all the bad players and you know you tanked my league because you know like i said we do it for fun but still a lot of leagues put up money and if you're paying you know 20 25 50 bucks to be in a league you want to do it in, in a way where you feel like you have the most possible control over it so you know if, if i all of a sudden can't make a draft i'm going to contact my commissioner i'm going to say listen something came up i'm going to send andy bob in my place you know he's a good drafter i trust him he knows who i like who i don't like and that way you still have a live person making picks again in the context of the draft, paying attention to the flow of it, you know, paying attention to things like quarterback runs. If a bunch of them are going off the board, you're going to draft differently in person than you would if you just gave them a sheet and said, here, here's my order of preference. You're never going to like your team that way. You're going to end up with three tight ends, um, too many wide receivers, not enough running backs, whatever the case may be. You're not going to be able to balance it the way that you would if you had a living person making draft picks for you. If that's not possible for some reason, um, I really don't think that there's an acceptable alternative. Um, yeah, I've been a commissioner in a league where a guy backed out last second, so these are the guys I want. It was an auction draft, too. He goes, these are the guys I want. Just bid for them and let the rest of the chips fall where they may. And I'm trying to focus on my own draft. Yeah, that's the other and thing. It's it's yeah. killed. It's it, it just really hurts other people. And I agree, Greg. I mean, I'm not telling you personally. I'm just reiterating. Don't be that guy. Don't be the person. Look, these things require a lot of work. Getting 12 schedules together requires a lot of work. Now, we all know that August is fantasy draft time. This is not a surprise. This this month did not sneak up on you. <laughs> it didn't all of a sudden. It's not like some hidden house or hidden staircase in Harry Potter. This is a month <laughs> of the year that everyone knows is there. There is no excuse to be the person who all of a sudden, oh, didn't realize I had that family dinner tonight. You know what? You can have family dinners another night. This bring is them to the draft. Bring your family to the draft. Have Absolutely. Some pizza. Extra snacks. They have <laughs> to bring extra snacks, and they have to BYOB as well. Don't they don't get a they don't get a freebie here. So this is this is one of those things. Do not be that guy. Just don't because you actually people people have absolutely moved their schedules around for this. Don't be the person that ruins it for everyone else. And yeah, it's it's harder the older you get 
you know, beyond like high school, college and things to get those 12 schedules together to coalesce for a night. You're almost never going to be able to reschedule it if you have to, especially last minute. Um, I, I have found in recent years that if I'm in a situation where I start trying to plan at the beginning of August and there's just no date where that works for everybody by the end of August, early September, if it's just impossible, um, I, I do want to vouch for the concept of the slow draft. Uh, if you've never tried it, a slow draft is where you don't have a time limit and you draft over the course of a few days or a week. And it's there's a lot of platforms that can accommodate this now. Um, Sleeper, ESPN, you could set like a five hour per pick draft limit. And that lets people, like I said, over the course of a period of time, kind of check in when they get a chance and make their pick. And it is, it's not for everybody. I know that there are some people that it's really hard to sit through that, that waiting period. But especially if you're doing a lot of leagues, if you're in like four, five, 10, 15 leagues, there are people out there who play that many. Sometimes it's easier to, to be part of a couple of slow drafts that are happening over the course of a week and just do a few in-person ones. So that is perfectly acceptable for grown-ups working full-time jobs with crazy schedules who, who can't always fit this in between vacations. Do a slow draft. So... Before we move on to uh, questions relative to this season, is there anything else I didn't hit on as far as live drafts? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, the more you can do to make it feel like a sports event, the better. Um, so, like I said, fun music, sports atmosphere, decorations, jerseys, food, drinks. Um, you know, you know, have we, fun. Talked, we <laughs> talked about we talked about the things that you know the type of people you want to be a league in. And then we also, I said later on, it's best if everyone buys in. And I think that's another thing. You want people that are excited and kind of willing to be silly a little mm -hmm. bit with this whole draft. I mean, look, the idea of a fantasy football thing is it's ridiculous on the surface, right? You're, yeah. you're drafting random athletes and hoping that their statistics are go a certain way. And I've, I've told this story on my show before, but that was really, that hit home for me uh, a couple of years ago there was a, a, a mock draft that I really felt like I nailed and I was stoked about it. I came out of it like, man, I just crushed it. And my wife, Kara, walks in the room. She's like, oh, what's going on? You're in a good mood. And I was like, yo, I just murdered this mock draft. And she was like, oh, congrats on your fake, fake draft. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're right. That's exactly what it is. It yeah, you were, draft you were for right football. there. She owned you right there. Yeah, like, and like she didn't, you know, she didn't mean anything malicious. She was just like, oh, like, like oh, that's how people see this when they're not in the bubble with us. So, right. So, all right, so let's move on. Let's let's get your expertise. So here's what I did. I came up with 10 players that I'm really curious about Okay. this season. And I kind of want your take on them. I mean, there's a little bit more to just saying this player's name. Uh, this, these players and kind of where my head's at when I think of them. So sure. we're going to go with no, the first player I have is Jamar Chase. And the question I have with that is I honestly, he's my favorite player going into this season. Wow. Uh, I wouldn't pick him first. I would take Jonathan Taylor first because I okay. think that's just a smart thing to do. But I feel like there's a lot of routes you can go pick one, two, like first round, second pick. Where do you see people going with that second pick? So it depends on your format a little bit. There are a couple different ways to play fantasy football uh, as far as scoring formats go. So there are leagues that don't award any points per reception. Uh, that's commonly referred to as, as standard. So um, you know, you get points for your receiving yards, but you don't get a point for catching the ball. Um, in recent years, that format has become less popular. People are gearing more towards full 
point per reception leagues and half point per reception leagues. And the idea with this is to make running backs a little more relevant because that is a position, um, especially in the modern NFL, there's just not many running backs who carry the ball enough themselves to be relevant in fantasy football. There's what, maybe five, six running backs tops who are on the field every snap and are getting, you know, 250, 300 plus carries. So the idea of this format is to make it, um, to kind of expand the pool of relevant running backs in fantasy football to open the door to guys like Kareem Hunt, Chase Edmonds, who are considered pass catching specialist running backs who might not be commonly as productive on the ground as runners. It makes them more valuable in fantasy football. So all of that being said, um, I think that there's a legitimate case to make for Christian McCaffrey as the number one overall in a full point per reception format. Uh, I see him go there a lot in my own drafts. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that there's a reason why Jonathan Taylor can't catch a bunch of passes and, and be that top guy in points per reception. But if Christian McCaffrey is on the field and healthy, uh, I, I think he's a lock for probably 70, 80 targets, if not catches. And that's just impossible to replicate if you're not a pass catching running back. So, I, I wouldn't blame anybody for going either Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey in the top overall spot, but I think you got to take the other guy at number two. Okay. Um, so stay away from the Jamar chases, stay away from the Cooper cups. Usually the only time that I, I think it's okay to probably sneak a wide receiver into the two spot is that there, there are a lot of leagues out there that um, commonly you start two running backs, two wide receivers, but there are leagues that add a third wide receiver slot because there are so many wide receivers conversely to running backs who are relevant um, that, that you want to make that position um, a little deeper on your roster. If you're starting three wide receivers and you're in a full point per reception format, I have no problem going either Cooper cup, Justin Jefferson or Jamar chase at number two. I think you can make a case for any of them there. Okay. Uh, the number two player that I'm interested in this year, Juju Smith Schuster. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to understand what I can expect. And not just from Juju, because there's also conversely Tyreek Hill. What should I be expecting from players in Kansas City? What should I be expecting from players in Miami? Those are two huge, you could call it a gap. You could call it a a raise in talent in the other city. Uh, What should I be expecting from those two organizations? Oh, the Kansas City wide receiver question that I feel like we've been dealing with for years. Even when Tyreek Hill was there, we were trying to guess who was going to be that number two guy behind Tyreek. And, you know, they have Travis Kelsey, and that offense for years just ran through the two of them. And the answer was always, there was no answer. There was never a a wide receiver, two that was relevant behind Tyreek Hill. We were placing our bets on McCole Hardman, uh, whoever else was there, and none of them ever hit. They had an occasional big game. So this is our first look at that offense without Tyreek Hill. And now the question is, will it be Juju Smith-Schuster to step up? Will it be, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Uh, I don't think it's McCall Hardman because we've seen him fail in that system for a few years now, but there are people who think that it's it's his time. Um, and then they drafted Sky Moore, the rookie, and I, th- I think like the second round. So um, it's likely that none of them are going to come in and, and beat Tyreek Hill. I think it would be a mistake to expect a one-to-one replacement. Um, you know, Tyreek got 159 targets in that system last year, and I don't think we're going to see that unless Sky Moore comes in and is a world beater and has like a Justin Jefferson kind of rookie year, but that's not impossible. It's just not helpful to expect that. So I think that the most likely scenario is to see kind of a combination of targets spread across all those receiving options. 
I expect Yuji to be the best of the group, though. He's 25, which people might not realize because it feels like he's been around for a minute, but he was real young when he came into the league, and his sophomore season in 2018 um, was elite. He had, you know, over 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns. The difference that, that gives me a little bit of concern with that is that he was not the focal point of that offense when he did that. He had Antonio Brown, so he was the wide receiver, too, on that team, and that was when he thrived. So... You know, maybe we see a similar situation with Travis Kelsey being the one in that offense this year to take some of the coverage off of Juju. It's it's hard to project that because we haven't seen it since then. As soon as Antonio Brown left the Steelers, Juju really couldn't carry that team as the number one receiving option. So I don't know if he can, you know, in Kansas City. It's the same kind of concern I had back with, like, when Alshon Jeffrey came out and set the world on fire with the Bears across from Brandon Marshall. As soon as Marshall left, we never saw that again from Alshon. So, um I, I, you know, long story short, I don't expect anyone to necessarily finish as a top five, top eight wide receiver the way that Tyreek has the last few years in that offense. But, um, you know, I would expect Juju to be the best of that group. And there's no reason that he can't finish as a serviceable high wide receiver, too, in that offense. He's going to get a ton of opportunities. Um, so if, he, if he's still got it and if he's as talented as he looked like he was in 2018, um, you know, wouldn't surprise me if, if he takes the lead in that offense. So what about Patrick Mahomes? Is Patrick Mahomes going to lose value? I don't think so, man. Um, I think he's going to find a way to get it done. And, you know, he can still come out and throw for 5,000 yards without any one of his wide receivers, you know, being the one to go over 1,500 yards. He, he can spread that out. He's got enough capable pass catchers. I just don't think that there are any stars left on that team outside of maybe Juju Smith-Schuster, maybe Sky Moore. Um, that being said, in situations like that where there's no guarantee, if you just like the offense and you want to get a piece of it, sometimes a, a viable strategy is to just take whichever one of those receivers falls later in the draft. So if you're like, okay, I think somebody's going to hit there, but I don't have my flag planted on any one guy. If Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the last one left on that list on the board, take him at the end of your draft. Um, I think Mahomes is going to be just fine. He's he's. I'm not taking him number one overall ahead of Josh Allen. Honestly, I'm probably taking him at the back end of my top five, if I'm being honest, just because I like some of those running guys a little bit better than I do Patrick Mahomes. But um, I don't think that there's anyone who's more of a sure thing to finish as as a productive passer than Patrick Mahomes. And he's cheaper than he has been in years. So um, I have no problem taking him in like the sixth if he falls there. Now, do you do you see... That sixth round, wow, that's 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 quite a fall for him, though. He was like a first, second round pick last year. You can it see is, but I'm seeing Josh Allen start to fall down to like the top of the fifth, and I don't think people are are commonly drafting Mahomes as a top three guy anymore. Um, which is that's interesting because I have some quarterback questions for you a little bit later in this segment. So, All right. um, kind of, but on the other side of that, you brought up Tyreek Hill being a top five, top eight wide receiver. Do you see that continuing with Tua as his quarterback? Uh, it is not outside the realm of possibility. Um, we saw younger Tyree Hill back in, I guess, 2017 be productive with Alex Smith as his quarterback. And I, I don't think you can really make a case for Alex Smith at that point in his career being much better than, than Tua could potentially be this year. Um, he caught 75 passes that year, 105 targets for over a thousand yards and seven touchdowns in 15 games, which doesn't sound like a ton, but he missed a few games. He was fifth in points per game that season. So you know, we've seen Tyreek have the potential to be a top five contributor without Patrick Mahomes. 
I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's, you know, lost a step since 2017. I think he still looks electric on the field. Um, he's not just a deep ball receiver. He can get some of those short underneath passes, break a tackle and take it to the house. Um, so I don't think Tua needs to necessarily throw the ball 50 yards down the field in the air for Tyree to get those, those big, you know, game changing plays. Um, I think that he's one of those those players who just elevates the play of his quarterback, whoever that quarterback is, and can do anything with the ball in space. And he's getting paid to see a zillion targets this year. So I think they're going to force feed him as much as they can. He's going as the ninth wide receiver in the back of the second round. I think that's about right. I think he's still got that top five upside. I, I probably project him to finish closer to 10, 11. But if that's his floor, I don't mind spending a wide receiver nine pick on him. So the next player that I have on my list, number three, is Saquon Barkley. And my question is about oft-injured running backs like him. Now, yeah. you, broke, you spoke about McCaffrey and that you would still take McCaffrey second overall. Uh, where do you project Saquon finishing this year? Or do you not project him finishing this year? <laughs> um, I, I mean, all reports out of training camp so far are that he's healthy. Um, I don't think that we saw a healthy Saquon Barkley last season. Um, I think that his risk is somewhat built into his average draft position right now, which is nice. Uh, general rule of thumb is, is you don't want to be taking players at their ceiling, meaning that, you know, if there's a range of outcomes for Saquon to potentially finish as a top five guy or, a, you know, the 30th running back, depending on, you know, how the year goes for him, you want to draft him closer to 30 than you want to draft him closer to five. Um, I, I think Saquon right now is, is kind of being drafted right in the middle of his range of outcomes at running back 10. Uh, he's going like mid to late second round because I think his floor, if he stays healthy, if he's on the field all year, which is a big ask, but if he does and worst case scenario, the Giants offense completely bombs out. I don't see him finishing below running back 15. He's just going to get too many touches. Uh, he's too important to that offense. Um, it, you can't ever really project injury. You can't say, okay, I'm going to stat this guy out to play, you know, 10 to 12 games because he gets hurt every year. There's just too much volatility in that especially with the nature of Saquon Barkley's injuries. It's not like he keeps re-aggravating the same, you know, it's not like with Todd Gurley, like when his, he had arthritis in his knees and they kept flaring up every season and we saw the end coming with him. Saquon, it was always like he would tweak this and he would come back from it and then somebody would step on his foot and break something else. And it, it just kind of felt like one unrelated thing after another. So I'm not expecting him to have nagging injury concerns this year. I'm a, I'm a little more worried about the Giants offense uh, but like I said, even worst case scenario, if they suck, I can't see him finishing as worse than a mid-range running back too. So I like him this year. And uh, okay. on the off chance, the Giants are good, which you never know. What's the they highest have... you would draft him? The highest I would draft him? Um, you know, probably closer to like running back seven or eight. If if I really... No, I don't think I'd do that. I, I I think he's going right where he should. I think mid to late second round. If I start with a with one of those stud wide receivers, like if I go, um, you know, for example, your example, Jamar Chase, if I take him top two or three, it's going to be a long time before I'm back on the board to make a pick. And if I'm looking for one of those back of the second round running backs there to pair with him, who has the potential of being a, an RB1 for my team, I'm probably looking at Saquon, especially in a full PPR format. He's Still going to catch a ton of passes. The next guy I have for you is David Montgomery. And when I bring up David Montgomery, I mean a player who is considered underwhelming in real life, but they're actually really solid in fantasy. And I'd like to know what other guys you see at that level. 
Well, you know, I brought up a few guys earlier to look at um, when, when you're trying to trying to find some hidden value in underwhelming NFL talent. You can start looking at focal points of, of bad offenses in NFL can often be really productive in fantasy football. The names I brought up were uh, I think Brandon Cooks and Darnell Mooney. But I also want to underscore the difference in value for running quarterbacks in fantasy football versus the way they play in real life. Um I think Jalen Hurts is probably the best example from last year. He's a guy who people watched him play football and questioned whether or not he was the actual future of the Eagles because, you know, it was technically his rookie season. He's been on the team a couple of years, but last year was his first full season starting, and he did not look like the best passer in the league. That being said, he produced as a top 10 quarterback uh, for fantasy football because he runs so much. And Honestly, the scoring for running quarterbacks in fantasy football is kind of broken. Um, what I mean by that is you commonly get one point per 25 passing yards as a quarterback, but you get one point per 10 rushing yards. So, for example, Jalen Hurts comes out, he throws for 150 yards. Let's call it 100 yards. He has a really bad game. He gets four points passing, but he also runs for 70 yards. That's an additional seven points. So he finishes with what? 11 points uh, on that game and that is going to be more than a guy who comes out and throws for twice as many yards and doesn't run so those those advantages you can always kind of squeeze out of guys who might not be considered great passers but are great runners at the quarterback position also looking at a Justin Fields who is a quarterback with a lot of question marks on a bad offense I've already admitted that several times on the show the Bears are going to suck but Justin Fields is going to run the ball a lot so he's one of those guys you can grab at like the back of your draft who's going to come out and be kind of a cheat code at the quarterback position because he's going to run a lot. He's going to have to. That offensive line is going to let people through like a bull rush. You know, the guys waving the red capes, they're going to come right through, and Justin Fields is going to be running for his life. He's going to be running for probably at least 40 to 50 yards a game. That's a free four or five points on top of whatever he does through the air. So um, I will take a guy like that, like a Trey Lance, who's an unproven passer at this point, but he's going to run a lot in San Francisco. Um, I'll, I'll take them over some of the better, more traditional pocket passers out there, like a Kirk Cousins. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably the the biggest dichotomy between a perception of an NFL player's talent and their value as a fantasy football player. Running quarterbacks every time. Okay. Uh, now I'm a big college football guy, so I and that usually works against me when it comes to fantasy football <laughs> because I love the guy and then he turns out to be a bust. But then sometimes like with Jamar Chase, where I thought Jamar Chase was going to be the real deal, works out for me. You were right. The guy this year, Brees Hall, is he a rookie that's going to produce early and often, or is there someone you like better? Um, I think he will produce often. I don't know about early. Sometimes with running backs coming in, especially on less productive offenses in their rookie year, it takes a minute for them to kind of come up to speed unless they're like a top five pick, like an Ezekiel Elliott coming into the Cowboys. Like we knew he was going to get 300 touches right out of the gate. Um, with Brees Hall, his draft capital wasn't quite as high as, as much as he was a talented prospect. Um, I think there's a world where he comes in early on and, and splits touches with Michael Carter to some extent. I do expect Brees Hall to win that job by the end of the year. So I think at some point he's going to be super productive. I think he's really talented. Um, I think the Jets had a really great draft and they're going to have a better offense than some people expect, depending on what happens with Zach Wilson's knee. <laughs> he did just uh, get injured in, in preseason. And again, great example of why you don't want to draft before the preseason games. You never know when your quarterback's going to take off running downfield 
and twist something in his knee and fall down in, in agony. So um, last I heard, Zach Wilson's going to be okay. And I think that offense takes a step forward. I think Brees Hall probably finishes as a mid to late running back too. Um, but if you draft him with that expectation, you might not get it for the first few weeks. I like grabbing him as like my third or fourth running back if I can. I see him going late fourth, fifth round. Uh, so sometimes I get him as a running back three who I have the luxury of, of benching for a few weeks if I have to um, and rely on the guys who I drafted to be immediate contributors. I think he's going to be potentially a league winner. I think he's got that kind of ceiling. If he hits the back half of the season, you get him for fantasy playoffs, he could win you a championship. Okay. Uh, any other rookies that you see that might come in right out of the gate? Yeah. So general rule of thumb, rookie tight ends don't usually hit. There's some really talented ones every year. Um, with the exception of the occasional Kyle Pitts, they're not usually guys who can come out and be immediately productive. That's not a knock on, you know, tight ends and their talent or, or their athleticism. It's just a harder position usually to translate to the NFL from college. So I, I wouldn't necessarily be drafting any rookie tight ends. Um, wide receivers, you usually get a better idea of how they're going to slot into their offenses in year one. I really like Drake London on the Falcons this season. Um, I'm seeing a lot of great camp reports. He is pretty much everything that they thought he was going to be when they picked him. And he's going to have to be because <laughs> they don't have much else besides Kyle Pitts. Um, so I, I think he's going to get a ton of work. He's going to be one of those big goal line targets. It's not going to be a great offense uh, with Marcus Mariota running the show, but he's going to get all the all the work he can handle. And I think he's good enough to do something with it, to beat out the double coverage and things. And, you know, Kyle Pitts should open up some things for him and, and Cordero Patterson. So there's enough that I like on the Falcons and I'm hesitant to say that because I, I know I know but there's it's not like he's the only show in town as a rookie there's there's going to be some other guys who the defense has to account for um and I think Drake London will, will just see enough volume sometimes that's all you need sometimes even if you're not a great player or you're not in a great situation if you're going to get pumped full of targets sometimes that's enough uh, for you to return on the draft capital so like Drake London um I think you could probably throw a dart at a, a Sky Moore in Kansas City, or um, you know, I, I would have probably said Christian Watson, but I see that he's dealing with some injury concerns in Green Bay. But those two rookies are in very similar situations on elite offenses that just lost their top wide receiver weapon. Tyreek Hill got traded out of Kansas City. Devontae Adams is out of Green Bay. So each of those guys has the opportunity to step in and be the one for that team. And if they do, I mean, it'll be the biggest steal in fantasy football if you're getting them, you know, kind of late in your draft. So the opportunity is there. Whether or not they can step up and, and seize it remains to be seen. But they have just as good a chance as anybody else on those teams because those wide receiver corps are kind of a mess. Um, you could also maybe look at Chris Olave on the Saints. Uh, I liked him more before I started reading about Michael Thomas looking like his old self um, in the preseason. But you know, Jameis Winston, still a pretty good passer in my book. I think he could support two decent wide receivers, even if Michael Thomas is a top 15 guy. Give me Chris Olave as a, you know, wide receiver 20, 24. There's a world where that happens with a higher ceiling if, if Michael Thomas lost a step or, you know, can't get past his injury or his issues with the team or whatever else has been keeping him off the field since 2019. Um, you know, give me Chris Olave as the, the, the next man up in that offense. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna rapid fire you three quarterbacks, three okay. three separate questions. These next three are all quarterbacks. Kind of more of a rapid fire answer here. Yeah. So next guy, Aaron Rodgers, your favorite player. Is there any point <sighs> in taking a quarterback early when a Hall of Fame guy like Rodgers is going to be available late? I am out on Aaron Rodgers this year. Um, 
and I'm trying still to decide whether or not that's my my bias or if it's my actual analytical fantasy football mind. Um, I, I think that he'll still find a way to be decent. I'm not sure off the top of my head where he's being drafted right I'm now. I'm thinking he's, of QB 12. QB but 12. all right, even, even Tom Brady, who's a Hall of Fame guy, obviously, at about QB 10 or 11, uh, I mean, is, is there a point of taking a quarterback in the fifth round instead of your depth at different positions when you can get a Tom Brady no, or I'm, I'm glad you brought up Brady because I think those are those are very different questions between waiting on Brady and waiting on Rodgers because I think if you wait on Rodgers you're going to be a little disappointed with him as your only quarterback Tom Brady I think you'll still be fine um so I know the reason you're asking this is because traditionally um fantasy football rosters start one quarterback which means there's a ton of them available there's 32 teams 32 starting quarterbacks um you can usually wait till the end of your draft and get a guy like a Tom Brady or even past that, like a Derek Carr, you know, Kirk Cousins, if you want to throw a dart at a Justin Fields or Jameis Winston, even like a Matt Ryan, who's going, you know, in the, the back of drafts right now has a ton of upside on the Colts. And it's, it's hard to justify paying like a fourth, fifth round value price for a guy like a Josh Allen in the fifth. That's not my um, strategy usually because I, I like to grab like a Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Trey Lance, and like the eighth, ninth round. I see them slipping there. I think that's the best combination of value and potential upside because I think all three of those guys are going to smash. But I mean, you can start looking for Josh Allen in the back of the fifth, top of the sixth. You're not usually going to get him there. He's going a little bit sooner than that. But there are just still so many great running backs and wide receivers available to you in those fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. And I, I think that you're just putting yourself at too much of an advantage to pass on those names and take a Josh Allen when you can get a Tom Brady in like the 10th round. And there's going to be a drop-off, but not as big of a drop-off as you'll see between running backs and wide receivers in those two rounds. So it is it is more astute to pass on the early quarterbacks and wait for a guy that you really like at the back. And you can even take a shotgun approach. You know, if you if you wait too long and you miss out on Tom Brady, you miss out on Aaron Rodgers, you end up with uh, Derek Carr is my guy, but I don't love him. So I'll throw a late dart at Daniel Jones in like the 15th round, who is not traditionally an elite, you know, producer, but there's a narrative there on the Giants where that team's going to be better this year with Brian Dable coming in, who just did wonders allegedly with Josh Allen. So, you know, maybe pair him with with more of a, a high upside guy like a Daniel Jones and a, and a safer guy like a Derek Carr and trade them off week to week, depending on their matchup. So lots of ways to get quarterback production late in your draft without spending a fifth round on Josh Allen. Okay. Uh, next guy I have, and, and I should preface this to the listeners. Uh, this is a guy who is currently going through a lot of legal issues for sexual misconduct. And right now there's an issue with a judge. He's uh, been given a six month uh, suspension by an arbitrary judge. Six uh, game. Six games, sorry, not yeah. six months, sorry. <laughs> six months would be basically what the NFL wants. Uh, so the NFL wants him suspended for the entirety of the year. Uh, it's a legal mess, and I, I don't want to go too in-depth into what he did and what his punishment should be. I'll leave that up to the legal people. Uh, just in a fantasy football thing here with Deshaun Watson. Now, I, I obviously don't think you're going to draft him high, even if he's out six games. My question is, wh where are you drafting the Browns' other options? 
So it, it does make a huge difference, the verdict of this this Watson business, because those guys are all going to go. They're going to be elite options if Watson's on the field for the whole year. I don't expect that. Um, like you said, there there's a, a pending six-game suspension. I don't think that that's going to stick. I think it's going to be all or nothing, in my opinion. We'll, we'll see. But I think that the two most likely scenarios are either the NFL gets their way and suspends him for the season or Watson is able to appeal it through a federal court and get the entire thing delayed past this season. So there's a world where he plays every game this year and there's a world where he plays no games. And I think those are the two most likely scenarios. I'm betting we won't see him. I think like the way I'm projecting the Browns right now is without Watson. Um, I think that their receiving options are only really draftable if they were to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo in that situation. Cause there are some rumors where if Watson gets more than six games, they're going to go after Jimmy G. And we've seen him support enough receiving options in San Francisco that I think it makes Amari Cooper really interesting. Um, I'd probably put him back in maybe my top 20 receivers, if that's the case. Right now, I'm not touching him because he's being drafted still as like a top 25 kind of guy. And, you know, unless they get a viable replacement in at quarterback, I don't, I don't see him returning value on that. That being said, either way, I still like the running backs. Uh, I still like Nick Chubb as like a top 10 guy. Kareem Hunt, I love in points per reception formats because I think they're going to have to throw the ball um, a lot to him uh, if Watson's not on the field, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo because he is not a mobile quarterback. I don't know if you know any of you listeners have seen him play in San Francisco, but he is a, a statue in the pocket, which you love for a receiving back like Kareem Hunt because in, in situations where like a... Um, you know, Kyler Murray gets, uh, he, he sees the rush coming in. He's going to flush out of the pocket with his legs. He's going to outrun his coverage. He's going to run down the field for a short pickup. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to see that pass rush coming, and he's going to throw to the closest player to him, which is usually going to be Kareem Hunt. So, um, you know, they're both talented. They're still a great team without Watson. They're just not going to be a great offense, which means I think their defense is going to win them a lot of games. And um, in those situations, you usually see teams lean on the run game. So I think Chubb will get a lot of carries. I think Kareem Hunt will get a lot of work. Still like them a lot, but not touching Amari Cooper without Deshaun Watson or Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. Uh, last quarterback to talk about is Trey Lance. And you've kind of answered this already, but mm-hmm. kind of want to just uh, a little bit of a follow-up. Young, unproven guy like Trey Lance, who has no a lot of upside, but no real uh, production yet or an old reliable like a Matt Stafford? Well, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that either way, if you take a chance on one of those guys and they don't pan out, you're probably not spending enough where you feel like you need to be committed to them for the full season. And that's another thing with drafting an early quarterback. If you spend like a fifth or sixth round on you know, Patrick Mahomes and he comes out and surprise, he's not that good without Tyreek Hill, which I don't expect. But if, if that happens, you feel like you need to hold him for the year because you spent so much draft capital on him you can wait and get a Trey Lance in the ninth or a, you know, Matthew Stafford in the 10th or 11th, and they don't work out in the first couple of weeks, cut bait, grab somebody off waiver wires. So um, that's always a possibility. That being said, I think that running quarterbacks who are not great passers have a higher floor and a higher ceiling, in my opinion, meaning that there's their worst case situation is not that bad and their potential is through the roof because they always have that rushing baseline. Like I said, they have a bad passing day. They're still going to get some free points on the ground. They might run in a touchdown. There's just so many more ways for them to generate points, even if they're not throwing the ball as well. Whereas if Matthew Stafford comes out, has a bad passing game, he's not running. Know, he's going to lose your week. Yeah. Right. Um, next guy is Cortland Sutton. Mm. 
So I don't know if you've seen the news, but the Broncos have a new quarterback. Indeed. This Broncos team has always seemed to have these weapons that everyone brags about, and they're all cerebral, but they've never had a guy to really get them the ball before. So are we going to finally see major fantasy production out of some of these Broncos? Andy, Bob, let's ride. (laughs) First and foremost, yeah, I think that that offense is going to be great this year. I love Russell Wilson coming to Denver. I have felt for a couple years like they had a great team and we're just missing a quarterback. Um, I'm really high on the talent of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick, uh, who we just lost for the season in Denver. So I think that that probably benefits Jerry Judy a little more because I I think that they were going to see similar targets, Jerry Judy and and Tim Patrick. Um, That being said, I'm taking Cortland Sutton ahead of Jerry Judy in my drafts. I just... I think his skill set is a little bit of a better fit for Russell Wilson, who's going to be able to buy time, you know, getting out of the pocket and and let Cortland Sutton get open downfield and make some of those bigger plays. Cortland Sutton has so much DK Metcalf in him. Oh, exactly. I think that's a great comparison. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a, a Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf situation transfer over to Denver. And I, I think Sutton is the Metcalf. Uh, Judy is the Lockett. Um, who knows what Tim Patrick would have been. We'll find out maybe next year. Um, I, I think Sutton's going to be the big play guy, getting more yards, more touchdowns. Jerry Judy wouldn't surprise me to see him finish with more catches, but less yards and touchdowns. So maybe more valuable in a points per reception league, but Sutton I like a little more for my money. Wouldn't be surprised to see either of them break out, though. Okay, and now we're up to the last one. All right. Justin Tucker. <laughs> Is kicker a last-round option, or do you like taking kickers earlier? Oh, so this is also situational and it's a great um, point for my earlier suggestion about assigning a proxy if you can't make it into the draft, because there are some things that you're just going to have to make those decisions in the moment based on who's left on the board. Um, I would say it's almost always the right move to take kickers laugh just because they make there's really not that big of a difference between like the second or third best kicker and the 11th or 12th best kicker on the board when you look at it compositely on the year. That said, there are a couple of guys like a Justin Tucker, like a Harrison Butker, who are difference makers in good offenses at that position. And I would not hate it in the situation where it's the second or third last round and you have a ton of guys in your draft queue who you like about the same. And there's a good chance that one of them is going to make it back to you. I don't mind going around or two early on a kicker and sneaking one in there or even a defense if you feel like, okay, I have five rookie wide receivers in my queue. I'm going to take a dart throw at one of them. I'm not married to any of them. There's four picks between, you know, this pick and my next pick. One of them is going to get back to me. I will jump the line here and take Justin Tucker and get that positional advantage at kicker and then come back around and get one of those guys. That's really the only time I'm doing it. Um, Other than that, I'm just going to wait and and take whoever falls to me. There you go. And uh, no one who listens to this episode of my podcast has any excuse not to at least compete for the title in their league next year, uh, this year, sorry, this year. And, Absolutely. And, I don't want to hear any last place finishers if they're open mic comedy sets next year, blaming this episode for the reason that they're up there on stage doing that. <laughs> well, uh, the only way to do even better is to ensure that you listen to Greg weekly throughout the season, because having a great draft is only part of it. You have to navigate the waiver wire. You have to make good trades. So I give the Andy Bob seal of approval 100% to fantasy fan line. Uh, Greg, once again, if you could just plug yourself, let people know where they can find you. 
Appreciate that, AB. We stream live every Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time to Twitter, Twitch, Facebook. If you watch videos on Facebook, I don't know if anyone does that anymore, but we're there. We're on YouTube. You can find us on all social platforms at Fantasy Fanline. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform the next day. Um, but really, the, the best way to make uh, the most out of our show is to listen live and call in and talk to our experts and have them answer questions about your team. And then as for Brocation Locations, you can find us on Instagram at Podcast. That's at B-R-O-C-A-Y podcast. We're going to be doing a college football stadium destination in our next episode. And then in September, we have two European heavy hitters. But I'm glad we were able to get the Brotherhood Learning Series back. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining the show. And I hope you have a great fantasy football season. Make sure you put those trophies over your shoulder. Oh, I'm going to be draped in them next time you see me on camera. That's good. So uh, until next time, stay traveling. Love you, bros.